Welcome to the Healthcare Plus podcast hosted by Quint Studer and Dan Collard. I'm Nicole Webb Bodie, partner at Healthcare Plus Solutions Group. Thank you for joining us as we bring together leaders and change makers from across the healthcare industry. In each high impact segment, you'll hear about the latest challenges organizations are facing and learn how guests are rewiring solutions to drive real change. Plus, you'll walk away from each episode with practical tools, techniques, and best practices to implement in your own role and in your organization. For more information on your host or to listen to recent episodes of the podcast, please visit www.healthcareplussg.com slash podcast. Now, I'm pleased to welcome today's host, Dan Collard, who will introduce you to our next guest. Well, hi, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Healthcare Plus podcast. My name is Dan Collard with Healthcare Plus Solutions Group, joined by my friend and colleague, Quint Studer, and a really special guest today as we think about the timing of this podcast. We have some exciting news to be able to share all across the country within the industry. We're joined today by Dr. Catherine Meese from the University of Alabama, Birmingham. Uh, Catherine, welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. It's so good to have you. Um, Dr. Meese, why don't you tell, first of all, everybody uh, about yourself, the work that you're doing, uh, a little bit about your background, and then we'll get into the exciting news part of the podcast today. Great. Well, you know, I didn't start in healthcare, and I am so happy to be here. I got here as fast as I could. Um, The early part of my career was spent working in oil and gas and finance, and eventually made my way to healthcare and have just fallen in love with this industry. It's a calling for me. Um, And so currently, I'm doing research on humans in healthcare, the humans of healthcare, and I specialize in organizational behavior and leadership. And so what I'm trying to understand as a scholar is how do we help create the most incredible environment for the wonderful people that choose to work in healthcare? And what is the data? What is the research show us about how we can do that? And then how do we tell that story in a way that people can actually understand and do something about it? It's always nice when you have not just the theory, but the solutions as well. And so speaking of solutions, uh, Quint, you and Catherine are co-authoring a book called The Human Margin, and that's sort of our exciting news today. Uh, we'll be at the American College of Healthcare Executives Congress in March in Chicago, where the book will really receive its official unveiling. It's already available for pre-ordering right now. But Quint, I'd also love to to hear from you about when you first met Catherine and, and you learned about this research that she was doing, what was it that really interested you most in the beginning? Well, I think, you know, certainly Dan Gentry, the president CEO of AUPHA, who I've got a good relationship, just said to me, you've got to meet Catherine Mace. You two would like each other. And, you know, there's certain things you both agree on or and it just is. So I, I get interested and I'm curious. And I met Catherine and, you know, I'm looking you know, when COVID hit, I got very caught up in trying to help organizations create safe environments for people to share what they were going through. People love to say they were okay when they weren't. I'm in stress when I'm in trauma. So this is an area that's always, always interested me, creating safe environments so people feel comfortable sharing. I call it a safe environment, but now I'm realizing too, a safe environment means a trusting environment, that culture of trust. And then when she showed me the research, it just started to say, well, when you see the research, it says, well, that makes sense. But then, then you you dig into it, which we didn't do in our book, is, you know, sometimes things happen. You wish they didn't happen. I mean, we had a hurricane. We have hurricanes here where I live. 
and nobody causes them, but we have to deal with them once they hit. And I think COVID was a psychological, physical hurricane in healthcare. And I think senior leaders were in an environment they'd never been in before. Um, every day they didn't know, do I have beds? Don't I have beds? Do I have visiting? Don't I have visiting? Do I have staff? Don't I have staff? Do I have safe equipment? Don't I have safe equipment? Do we vaccinate? Don't we vaccinate? And I think that's a whole trust issue. And as I read her research, I was just fascinated by by what it was showing. And it was showing some things that were, um, you know, not surprising, but to the degree they were surprising. And then it also showed, in a way, a few positive things is that the frontline supervisors really stepped up like everyone did during COVID, but they did a lot of heavy lifting because they were on the units. They were figuring out the staffing. And actually, for them, the trust sort of got a little better because employees leaned on them for so much. So I just thought the, the research was just fascinating. And I just, every time I listen to Catherine, I learn and I like to learn. She's a great teacher. Well, and, and we're going to go much deeper on, on this whole role of the middle leader today in the podcast. So Quint just sort of led that in the direction. The first question I was going to ask was, was it really about, from a, from a timing of the research, was it all about the post-pandemic? Uh, what, what was really behind the timing of the research for you? Yeah, I mean, part of it was just chance. I finished my PhD in 2019. Um, I, I came to that after many years working in the industry. And so I thought, oh, great, I'm going to research well-being in humans. And, you know, nobody's really looking at that broadly, um, or not as many people are looking at that broadly. And then, of course, COVID hit, and then the whole universe starts looking at that. And so um, some of it was just sort of time and place. But, you know, it was really interesting. I'm embedded in a health system. Um, I have many, you know, healthcare providers in in my life and my family. And so hearing some of their stories about what they were experiencing as the pandemic, you know, as they watched it slowly approached, as it hit us, as they learned to adapt, really got me curious about how are we going to make sure that this very limited resource that we have, which is these highly trained, highly professional, wonderful people, how do we make sure that we get through this intact? And what are things that are fixable that we can do? Um, to help give us the best chance of doing that. Like Quint said, the pandemic was a little bit like a hurricane. I mean, not not all of the things that we dealt with could have been stopped, prevented, or changed. Um, But there are some things that we've seen in the research that are very fixable, um, meaning that we do have some span of control in how those things manifest. So when I first started looking at what is explaining overall well-being of the workforce, Uh, both clinical and non-clinical, what's explaining whether or not they intend to leave the organization or whether or not they would recommend it, what kept coming up over and over again are durable work-related factors. Things like, does the organization support me and value my extra efforts and contributions? Am I satisfied with the recognition that I receive? And most importantly, near the top of the list is, do I trust senior leadership, not supervisor, not my manager, but do I trust the people at the very top of the organization? Um, that was a surprising finding to me when I ran the statistics and I looked at it, you know, it was like, okay, let me rerun this. Is that really what I'm seeing? Cause we always say it's the manager, but I think during that time of turmoil, people wanted to know that the person way at the top, um, is looking out for me. I trust that person. They have my best interest at heart. So that whole notion of trust in senior leadership really was that surprising data point. And, and I'm just curious, you know, you go back and you rerun the data. You want to make sure, first of all, that that it's reliable and, and valid. But but I'm more interested in in sort of 
picking your brain a little bit into what did you learn about that when you looked a little deeper at this whole notion of trust in senior leadership? What what did you learn? You know, a few things. When you know, I'm I'm what's called a mixed methods researcher, which means I don't just look at quantitative uh, data. I also look at comments at at people conversations that people are having. I do interviews. I do focus groups. Because to me, so much of the explanation for that story is coming from how people are describing their experiences and environment. And so I'm looking at both, right? And what I'm learning during that time is that so many of these things that seem to be related to whether or not I trust my senior leader are not necessarily things that the senior leader is doing or not doing. It's not that they're inherently untrustworthy people. It's that sometimes their actions or behaviors are being interpreted in a way that's really harmful to the organization. And it's not even an accurate interpretation most of the time, you know, but it's a perception issue. So I think what we found when we sort of dug into that a little more is really there's a storytelling element here of how are those senior leaders telling the story to the organization so that people understand what's going on. And I think with so many pressures during the pandemic and so many urgent, I mean, on fire decisions that had to be made, some of that storytelling um, finesse maybe wasn't where it needed to be. It doesn't sound like any of this, first and foremost, was intentional on the senior leader's part. And, and people weren't saying that we distrust the senior leaders, but there were things that were being perceived, which, which also then leads to, are there solutions? Are, are there things that senior leaders can do? And, you know, part of this podcast's uh, sort of uniqueness is we don't want to just bring the problem. We want to bring the solution. Did anything come out of the research or subsequent conversations that you had about? So is there are there some things that senior leaders could do? Because we're going to get to the middle leaders. But right off the bat, are there things that the senior leaders could do? Yeah. So the great thing is we ask people, right, like what would improve your work environment? What would how do you want to be recognized? And. What we found in those responses was that people have a really a lot of really great ideas about how to solve their own problem. Um, and so some of the things that people said was really a desire for senior leadership to be visible and to see what they're going through. Like we know there were so many situations during COVID that were really hard. Um, you know, people were making the best with limited supplies and equipment and people, but they wanted to feel that that was seen. Um, by senior leadership. And so there's a huge visibility element, not us seeing the senior leader, but the senior leader seeing me, or at least my unit or my type of employee and, and acknowledging what we're going through. Um, so that was a huge element. I think on the recognition piece, you know, sometimes when we think about recognition, we think about, you know, rewards programs or some financial bonus. And really, again, what people were asking for is, I want people to know what I do here and tell me that it matters. Um, that is not what we always think about when we think about recognition programs or initiatives. And so those were two of the things that really stood out that I thought, gosh, you know, these are not expensive. They take time, but it's really this, this feeling of wanting to know that all the stress I'm feeling at work matters to somebody. Quinn, it always reminds me of the, the tool we've used forever called the senior leader scouting report and how senior leader visibility becomes all that more important that when we prepare the senior leader to know some things that are going on uh, in the unit. Any thoughts from you, Quint, on the senior leaders there and their ability to be present and not just visible? 
Well, I think I always learned I could just listen this whole time to Catherine. And um, I, when I was sitting here, I was thinking about this whole idea of perception. And, and it's not on purpose, but I was thinking about, do you understand what I'm going through? And I think that's a real huge thing. When we did our models of care study, particularly with nursing, do you know what I'm going through? Do you know what this my job is like? Um, the, one of the stories in our book, The Human Margin, is a Bart, Bart character of Airmark. When at July 4th, there was a shooting and the said deadly, you know, the dead bodies and some bodies that didn't die were brought to the Highland Park Hospital, I believe it was. And of course, they have housekeepers there and it's traumatic on everyone, but EVS too, cleaning up blood, families. And instead of just anything, he hopped on a plane and he flew from Delaware to Chicago to sit down with these EVS employees as they were going through that. He didn't read about that on social media because he refused to let people take photos. He refused to do a big post. But, you know, that's the type of I think that's the type of leadership that Catherine, to me, is talking about, that empathy, that listening, that understanding. And and I think sometimes senior leaders might think it's got to be big. And I think it's a whole bunch of just making sure they know you care. Um, they wrote it. I think one of the years ago when I was president of Baptist Hospital, either USA Today or somebody came and did a story and they walked around the hospital and they asked people how they liked me. And of course, you know, you don't know how that's going to be. And I pick up the paper and they said, they asked some of the nurses why they liked them or what they thought of me. And they said they liked me because at break, at one night at break, I came up and ate with them. You know, sometimes I think we underestimate the impact that we can have or, or fixing something small that isn't small to them. It's understanding, removing barriers, and showing that we um, that that we we love them, that we trust them, that we appreciate them. So Catherine's always right on, right on with everything. You know, Quinn, I I love hearing good examples of when this goes well, because um, you know sometimes we hear the other kind of example. And I had someone come speak to my class, um, director named Erin from Houston Methodist, and she detailed an experience that she had when, you know, they were preparing for a hurricane and she was on the ride out team. And so she was supposed to be at the hospital to help. And despite the fact that she was director level, she was assigned to cleaning patient rooms. Um, And she was paired with a housekeeper who cleans patient rooms to teach her how to do it and show her, um, you know, how that needed to be done. And she was seven months pregnant at the time. Erin was the director. And so she's down on her hands and knees cleaning patient rooms at seven months pregnant. And if you think about what that says in terms of really shortening the distance between leadership at any level and the people who are doing the hard work, um, they were able to build a real relationship. And Aaron was able as a leader to say, nothing that happens in this entire organization is beneath me or below me, we are in it together. And I can't think of a better way to build trust than just that. Yep. You mentioned- I, I used to do, Dan, I used to do a lot of lunches. I, I still do with people and I ask them those type of questions. What do you look for in a, a leader? And it always comes down to, they won't ask me to do anything they won't do. And they, they understand the reality of that. Um, and they work shoulder to shoulder with me. 
Absolutely. You know, I think those are where the stories really come into play because you, you both just gave really good stories, eating with folks at a break, um, nothing being below or beneath them. I, I was with a, a newer nurse leader last week at Loma Linda. His name is Ricky Padilla. And we happened to run into a couple of Ricky's nurses uh, in the break room as we were rounding on the floor. And I just said, tell me something about Ricky. And immediately one of the nurses said, you know, I was with a patient. I got called away in an emergency. And when I came back, Ricky was actually completing the care of the patient. And, and she said, I knew I had a really good boss when I saw that, what Ricky was doing in terms of, you know, rolling up the sleeves and cleaning up the patient, even though I wasn't there to be part of that. So, so Catherine, you mentioned early on some of the the research from a correlation standpoint. What did what did the information tell us? Um, you know, so a couple of questions. Why is trust so red hot right now? Is it all about retention? Because we talk about, you know, the three biggest issues in healthcare today, staffing, staffing, and staffing. Is it all about retention? Is it tied to how I feel I belong as an individual? What's what's sort of the fuel? behind it being so red hot right now, would you say? I mean, sure. I think, I think it's, I think it's all, um, interestingly, the, the veterans affairs, uh, annual employee survey data found a couple of years ago that trust in senior leadership was one of the biggest predictors of overall engagement. So it's not just a retention issue. It's a, are my people giving their best at work issue? And I think it's really, um, it's a foundational piece of how people feel at work, which colors everything else that they do, right? I think also one of the things we talk about in the book, and this was Quint's um, great connection that he made, is sort of this idea that people want to feel proud of where they work. And if you feel like the senior leaders upstairs are, you know, grumpy, evil people that have it out for you or are bad leaders or are incompetent, you're not proud to work there. You know, I think people are sort of saying, okay, if I'm not feeling like the relational damage from the pandemic era has been repaired or addressed, I'm looking for a fresh start, right? And so I think while the labor market appears to be strong with some of the latest statistics that we've seen, the churn is real. And so I think people are saying, okay, I don't know if I'm going to trust the people at this new organization, but I know I don't trust the people where I was and, and that hasn't been fixed. I think that's part of why this issue is so pressing for people. You know, I, we, so we've talked about the senior leader impact uh, where that where the data clearly indicated a need for rebuilding trust with senior senior leaders and some specific things that senior leaders can do. Now we want to get to where we always almost always end up. And that's the fact that the organizations with the strongest middle leader team win. And, and we say that all the time. And we think about what are those skills that middle leaders need to, to work and build on. So let's talk about, and I'd love input from both of you here, specifically the role of the middle leader. How can the middle leader impact trust? Is it a, is it a learned skill or is it something that folks sort of come to the job with? Um, I, I think, Dan, what I do with organizations is I ask them how many employees they have, and I maybe have a whiteboard or something like that. Then I ask the senior leadership team, how many direct reports do they have? And then and then what they come up with is, oh, my gosh, out of 13,000 employees, 12,700 of them are reporting to someone in the middle. 
And that sort of lays it out. And I also believe in two, two items. Number one, if my senior leader tells me they're trustworthy, okay, they, they got to say that. But if you know my peer, my middle, my peer in the middle management world, and middle management is anybody between the hourly employee and the C-suite, says you can trust these guys, I might even buy in more if a peer says it, just like coworker. I think building coworker trust is vital. Because once again, if I'm in the cafeteria and I'm brand new and I'm sitting with all the rest of my hourly employees and they talk about the organization, and if they tell me it's a good place to work and trustworthy, I'm probably more likely to trust them than I am somebody above. So I think the middle manager, the middle leader, and even now I look at coworkers are just vital. If you don't get those to trust you, and then I'll be finished, I'll turn it over to Catherine. It's a tough one. Because I know these senior executives, as Catherine says, they work really, really hard. And recently with a large organization that works really hard on this, we did a little survey. Everybody had it on their app on the phone and they could do a one through five. And the questions were the ones that are in the book almost. You know, do you feel senior leadership is providing information in an open and honest manner? And we had them vote. And this is a good organization. And I thought it was going to be really skewed toward fours and fives. It was almost a bell curve. It was like 20 to 25% set of one and two, maybe 20 to 30% set of four and five, and a whole group were in the middle. So, and I want to close with this before I turn it over to Catherine. I don't want, this is my perception, and I'm interested in her research. I'm not saying people have distrust. So I think there's a difference between distrust and not trusting in a way. I think we have a large group right now that just don't know. They're not ready to say, I trust you, but they're in that neutral category. So I think it becomes really imperative to figure out how's that neutral? How do we show them that we're trustworthy? And sometimes that leads to trusting them. And one of my favorite chapters in the book is Catherine. She wrote the chapter um, even though my name's on this book, she wrote this chapter. She wrote a lot of the book um, on autonomy. So that's where I have to say about how this is the lubricant between the that drives the organization. Catherine, what do you think? You know, I think some of it, we talk about this in the book a little bit, Quint, this is something that you were noticing, I think, when you were out working with folks, is sometimes if middle mid-level leaders or middle managers don't know how to answer hard questions, then they don't get answered well. And that can be a trust diminishing uh, experience for people. And so, you know, similar to what you saw with the bell curve in that situation that you just described, when we have measured trust and looked at heap mapping, you know, we see that there are wide variations in trust of senior leaders for areas of organizations that report to the same exact senior leader, right? So that's a pretty good clue that it's not really only about what that senior leader is doing, right? And that middle manager has a huge role. Um, I will tell you, I've got a, I've got a little surprise that we could talk about because it fits right in. Um, but we are working on new research right now, and it's relevant. Do you want to hear it? I do absolutely. I'm raising okay. my hand. <laughs> that's first. always that's that's kind of fun because that's how we always wrap up the podcast. Is what's what's next? So uh, let's uh, let's hear it, especially if it's hot off the press. Okay, so you're the first to hear this. So um, I, I have to say, disclaimer, this is tentative. We're still working on refining the models, but the top few factors have been very consistent across all the models that we've run. 
So we wanted to understand, you know, we're doing all this work on trust and we want to want to understand, you know, what behaviors of the organization, what factors are actually predicting whether or not people perceive their senior leaders to be honest and trustworthy. And number one, you ready? Number one is, is the person above my supervisor, right? So not my direct supervisor, but the one up, is that person doing a good job? That is the number one thing that explains whether or not I trust senior leadership. Um, Number two, is that person above my supervisor uh, clarifying goals for the organization? And then number three, are groups working well together, which again is typically something that happens above my supervisor. You know, are different units, different areas collaborating and working well together? And so um, those are the top three things. Uh, Also in the top five list, we see, am I receiving information from the organization? And so all of the things that we've been talking about are very much represented in this national data set. And so I'm I'm really excited to do this follow-up work. Um, still in process, but I think it it puts an exclamation point on everything that you're saying. Yeah, and and you know, it's one of those things again, it just makes sense. It also serves to validate the original research, which is always nice when when you have, you know, your original thoughts uh, validated there. So thanks for sharing. And most importantly, thanks for sharing with the audience. Uh, Is it something that you'll go uh, a layer deeper on or perhaps mention when the two of you are uh, on stage at Congress in in March? Yeah, I will say there's some other really interesting things on this list that um, we'll just leave that as a teaser. But I I think uh, there's some real exciting findings here that we'll we'll dive into more. And then I think the other thing that we're really excited about for Congress is we're not just going to leave you with admiring the problem. Um, you know, Quint has spent so many years uh, helping people understand how to actually fix these things. And so I'm really excited that we get to, to help explore that together. That's awesome. Uh, and we'll give people uh, even more specifics about, we we keep talking about our, our time at uh, the ACHE Congress. We'll give more specifics by the end of the podcast. So so let's land here. We, we've talked about where trust might be lacking, not, not distrust, but lack of trust. We've talked about solutions, but let's land it. We've talked about senior leaders, then we've talked about middle leaders, and now let's let's sort of land this idea with employees. What what do the two of you feel? What do you think about when we think about when trust is actually present? So when an organization has done good work on rebuilding trust or building trust from senior leader level, middle leader, leader level, is there something in the research or is there something just pretty intuitive about the difference for frontline folks on the front line of our industry when trust is present? And I'd let either of you go first. Let me go first and then Catherine will, will close. Because I, I love this part of the book. And again, I'm not complimenting myself. I'm complimenting Catherine because she did a lot of heavy lifting on this book. We really wrote this book, Dan, not just for senior executives. We wrote the book so everyone in the organization could benefit from reading it. Even a frontline employee can read this book and be looking at, wow, my leaders are doing this. This is pretty cool. It's very strong for the middle leader. So there's a part in there early on that Catherine wrote about on how to, how to create a, an environment where employees flourish. And um, the book goes into more detail, but I'll just give some highlights that, that I wrote down. N- number one, they feel they belong. They have relationships. That's why it's so important for new employees. The onboarding has to be so much more intense because if they don't feel they know their coworkers, they might leave. Number two, skill building. 
I'm going to flourish if you're investing in my skill building so I feel competent. The third point is connect me back to purpose. And, you know, we've all known this. There's no insignificant job in healthcare. If you're in the back room in accounting, you have a purpose job that's helping that organization be financially sustainable. So it's it's everyone, not just clinicians. They want to feel safe. And that's something new that, that, you know, five years ago, we wouldn't be talking about that. But I remember Tom Meller at the University of Louisville getting up in front of a whole entire audience. And his first thing he said is, I guarantee you, you can work here and feel safe. And I think it feels safe physically, but it also feels safe sharing where I'm going through, what I'm at, that I've got some challenges with my children. Can I tell you that? Because we have great resources for people. And the last one is they want to feel trusted. And that's why I think Catherine's chapter on autonomy is unbelievably great. I have changed my own perception of autonomy based on what she's taught me. So those are what I think a frontline employee really benefit if they're going to flourish in the environment. And everything I took, I learned from Catherine. So I hope she's got something to add because I took over. It's all this is her stuff. Catherine? <laughs> uh, well, not at all. There's, there's still more. Um, no, those are all great things, Quint. I think you know, kind of where my mind goes is that uh, in the history of humanity, right, we have developed over time to be very sensitive and to respond to perception of threat, right? And our brain is optimized for decision-making when we don't feel like a saber-toothed tiger is chasing us. And I think in our modern work environment, the thing that is chasing us sometimes is a feeling of distrust. It's this overwhelming feeling of somebody is out to get me. Something's going to go wrong. People don't have my back. And that can put us in a frame of mind where we are looking out for ourselves first and foremost, and we build up a protective shell that's unhelpful to all these other things that we want to do in healthcare, collaboration, working together, being vulnerable, um, allowing uh, each other to feel the emotions of being with people and human suffering and compassion. And so to me, the trust element is really so important for making sure that people's brains are optimized to do the hard work of healthcare. I mean, it's it's really foundational at that level and it makes everything else work. So I think this is a, a great jumping off place. We, we've mentioned the fact that uh, we're going to have a chance to be together at, at Congress. You'll, uh, If you're a, a member of our audience that belongs to ACHE and you happen to be coming to Congress or as a result of hearing this conversation would like to come to Congress, the, uh, the presentation is scheduled for Tuesday. March 26th at uh, 9 a.m. And if again, if you're coming to Congress, you can uh, you can look at the agenda and find the room, et cetera. Uh, we get a sense that the audience is growing. So like last year, we might find that the rooms get bigger, so they move us around. But just look for Quint and, and Dr. Catherine Meese uh, for a conversation around the human margin, building the foundations of trust. It's the new book. And and by the way, it's it's available for pre-order now and soon to be available. Uh, Catherine, any details that you would share with the uh, with our podcast audience? Well, I can't wait to see what great new ideas people have for how to do these things. You know, I think the people who are out doing the work every day are the ones that probably already have a lot of solutions that the rest of us could learn from. And so, um, my hope is that this book really opens up a two-way dialogue where we get to learn from what folks who are doing the hard work every day are doing too. I can imagine 
that at Congress, there's going to be a line off the side of the stage for just that, just the ideas of what they like most, and then maybe some ideas that they'll bring from their organization uh, as well. So folks can pre-order the book today. And uh, do I remember correctly that it's going to be available for shipping on March the 1st? So today, if you order it from ACHE, if you're a member, there's a discount, which is great. And that can ship quickly. And then I think if you order on Amazon, it will ship out uh, March 1st. Very good. Very good. Well, listen, thank, thanks to you both. Um, I We're so excited about not even just the, the book coming to light, but the chance to uh, be in the midst of all these healthcare leaders uh, in Chicago in March. Uh, looking forward to it. Catherine, thanks for being the guest on the podcast today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Quinn, as always, thanks for bringing the the everyday solutions to the conversation, too. Well, I just, the first book I've ever co-authored, and I couldn't have asked for a better person to write a book with. So thank you so much, Dr. Meese. Thank you for listening to the Healthcare Plus podcast hosted by Quint Studer and Dan Collard. For more free resources and to access latest books, articles, and industry insights, visit www.healthcareplussg.com. Plus, for a limited time, visit our website to download a free copy of Rewiring Excellence written by Quint Studer and Dan Collard. We hope you'll join us next time as we continue the journey to make healthcare better for caregivers, patients, and communities.